Hi, and welcome to the voice of the child. 310,000 children in England and Wales have a parent in prison, and before the coronavirus pandemic, 10,000 visits to prison were made every week by these children to see a parent. But information about these children is so limited that when their mother or father goes to prison, there's no system in place to make sure they're safe. They just fall through the cracks. Sarah Burrows is the founder of award-winning charity Children Heard and Seen, which gives a voice to children with parents in prison and aims to offset the impact parental imprisonment can have on children, which can lead to family breakdown, poor mental health and offending. Sarah has received the government's prestigious Points of Light Award for her work, and in 2019, her charity received the Queen's Award for its services. Sarah, why did you decide to start Children Heard and Seen? I started Children Heard and Seen because I was really concerned to find out that there wasn't any provision for children who have a parent in prison. Um, I was working in the Youth Offending Service in Oxfordshire as um, pre-court prevention manager, so looking at children and young people who were entering the criminal justice system for the first time. And I was quite surprised to see how many of those children had a parent in prison and made an assumption that there would be a support service out there for them um, and had a look around and realised that there wasn't anything actually for them that was based in the community. So decided to set something up because I was particularly alarmed about 65% of boys with a parent in prison going on to offend and thinking, well, it's quite a stark figure and actually let's do something about it. Since starting um, the charity, although obviously the offending is quite important, it's much more about the um, shame, stigma and the loneliness that these children experience um, and the secrecy around having a parent in prison. What's life like for children from the moment one of their parents gets taken into custody through the trial process and beyond? For every child it's really different. So if a child um, is actually living in the um, home of the parent who is arrested or happened to be staying with them, that has happened in quite a few cases, um, they, they can witness the arrest that actually has been quite traumatic for children. If they aren't in the home with the parent, they obviously still have the trauma of the parent suddenly not being around. Sometimes children are told that they've gone away, they've gone on holiday. So um, children don't actually know, but they have a sense there's something wrong. And then they can actually find out in the school playground that their parent is in prison. Or that um, they can be with the parent who is no longer with a partner and have their own feelings about their ex-partner having been arrested and the child's having to navigate those feelings. How else does the experience affect children? Obviously, there are going to be, as you say, a variety of different kinds of experiences, but what do they see day to day as they're going through that process with their parents? I think it's much more about the isolation and shame and loneliness that the children feel. I mean, we're currently um, providing online support. Um, As it's the end of term, we've been going out to different schools, seeing if the children would like support. And we get comments um, that we don't have children like that in our school. Um, And to say something like we haven't got children like that actually sort of reinforces that view of of why children must be struggling. I'm sure they they do have children with a parent in prison in the school. You know, it's estimated from the Quest data that there's 312,000 children a year that do. But it's, uh, it's an attitude. And so I think for children, it just reinforces that bit of coping with the loss of the parent or they could have been the victim of the parents offending themselves 
or their parent could have been the victim of offending, or they could be missing the parent. This is a host of different things, but it's that isolation and not being able to, to talk about it. And we all know that it's much better to be able to talk about things if you have experienced traumatic things happening to you. Also, one of the one of the challenges and difficulties that children experience is if other people know about the parents offending, then that they can suffer greatly. So one of the things that we would like as an organisation not to happen is um, the person who has committed the offence and who is facing the sentence or who has been sentenced are addressed to be published um, because they're obviously identifying where children are living. And we have had um, children that have been very badly beaten up at school. We have had children who have had um, feces through their letterbox and we have had children that have witnessed their other parent being assaulted or for the other parents offending, um, as if in some way that, that the family is responsible for um, that parent offending. That's all incredibly traumatic. In terms of alert systems or processes within either the justice system or the social care system, are there any kind of indicators for child welfare professionals when a child's parent goes into custody? There isn't any. There isn't any national. There's no national databases about who these children might be. There's no system set up about having a parent in prison. For instance, with um, Schools admissions, um, entering a school, you're asked if your child's on the child protection register or if you're part of the military. But there's nothing in terms of children with a parent in prison. And so children, schools obviously don't routinely ask, so they wouldn't know. And there isn't anything through the courts of finding out who these children might be. So children slip through the net. So there's no process which actually triggers as soon as a child's parent goes into prison? No. There's none at all, and in fact, we're quite a small charity, and yet I think our provision is probably the largest in the country for children with a parent in prison based in the community, and it's really, really small. How many children are you currently supporting through the charity? Currently, we're supporting about 200 children. Um, That has increased by um, about 50 since um, lockdown, um, because we very quickly put all our support services online. And prior to lockdown, we were offering children one-to-one mentoring, uh, mentor, volunteer mentors with a child uh, for a year to 18 months, um, different group work provision programmes, and also one-to-one support with a specialist worker. So when um, lockdown happened, we um, put our services very quickly online. We did a second-hand um, laptop collection. We got a volunteer who kindly wiped all the laptops, and we got all the children connected so we could then provide online support. Um, And a spin-off for us um, has been that, obviously, we don't need to just stay in our geographical areas and have children from different parts of the country and the parent or grandparent caring for them, accessing our support. Have you ever come across any cases where a child has been left without anyone at all to care for them because there's no alert process or system in place to identify these children? We have had cases where the parent didn't expect to have a custodial sentence and so therefore hadn't made provision for the child to be picked up from school. And what happened to that child? She phoned her friend at school and asked if she could um, keep her daughter. Why are children just not being identified when a parent goes to prison? Why is there no support system in place for them on a national scale? 
I guess that there is, uh, it doesn't fit into a government department, children with a parent in prison. So there isn't a particular department that would, that would be capturing this data to find out. Parents would be very reluctant to disclose as well. They would be concerned um, that in some way that social care might get involved and remove their children. And there isn't, there isn't an incentive for families to disclose that they have a parent or partner in prison at school. You know, if the events that I talked about, you know, of, of being bullied, um, being assaulted, why would children and their families identify unless there's some provision and support? Why would they anyway? Is there a balance that could be struck to make sure that that support is provided without making families feel like they're being targeted or threatened in any way? Yeah, definitely. I do think um, it'd be really good in terms of trying with school emissions and being seen as a group that actually needs support and being given support. So I think it, but it has to come with identification, has to come with support. The Joint Committee on Human Rights published a report on the 29th of June examining the effects of COVID-19 on children and their ability to see their mothers in prison during the outbreak. I think it was just focusing on mothers, this particular report. And children heard and seen engaged in this report. What did you share with the committee and what were the main findings of that report? Um, We were asked if any um, children wanted to talk about the impact and the effect of having um, their mother in prison. Um, And so um, to... Two families gave evidence um, as audios. One of the families had five children and um, they found that two of the children gave evidence. Um, there was six, six-year-old and the eight-year-old. And it did take a few days to do because they found it so painful um, and they, they missed their mother so much. Her, their mother was coming out um, on resettlement. So she was coming out five days out of every 14 days. So they were seeing her and obviously was locked down. They weren't seeing her. So it was really important to get their views across and to be heard. And then the other family that we spoke to, it was um, for a baby of one. And obviously he is um, pre-verbal. So the impact of not being able to have the visits. So what did the children who were able to speak and express their thoughts say to the committee? It's much more around the pain that they were experiencing about missing their mother greatly and wanting their mother around. I think after the committee met, they then had their recommendations. And what was really interesting in their recommendations was that one of the things was that it should be mandatory to ask all women entering prison whether they have dependent children and what their ages are. It would be great to actually have it as mandatory to to ask men and women entering whether they have dependent children and focusing on the children. Um, and seeing what support could be offered. You also collected the thoughts of some of these children, which you very kindly shared with the programme. So this is what the children had to say about having a parent in prison and what life is like for them in their own words. I was asleep in my bed when eight police officers burst into his house at night time. I was absolutely terrified. I am too scared to sleep in my own bed at night, so I sleep in with my mum. I don't like the dark anymore because I am scared of people bursting into the house and shouting. Someone came up to me in school and said there's a rumour running around that your dad is in prison and I cried and I wasn't ready for everyone to know. Everyone assumes that we all visit but we don't. I find it really difficult because I am not allowed to see my dad. He is in prison for hurting my sister. 
The prison won't let me see my dad and this makes me really angry. I used to spend time with my dad when I got angry and now I don't have him to talk to. I feel angry all the time and I can't concentrate at school and I keep getting excluded. When we visit, we aren't given enough time. It's a really intimidating experience. It can end with no 10 minute warning when you just have to get up and leave. Is it fair that we should be punished by losing a visit, even though our parents haven't acted good by not seeing them? Before children heard and seen, there was no support for us as a family about dad going to prison. Support would have been very helpful for my mum as she has to look after all of us. It wasn't fair that my dad was moved to a prison that was really far away. I've only visited three times over the whole year. The rule that should be changed if people in prison have children, they should be moved as close as possible so it's easy for their, t their children to have contact. If my dad was closer, then I'd be able to see him more often. My house has been raided multiple times. This has really impacted me and I feel really unsafe in my own home. I have now been diagnosed with PTSD. Some of these experiences are very vivid and quite frightening, but it's wonderful that Children Heard and Seen are able to offer children support and they're clearly very happy to have found you. How were those clips produced? We attended a Children's Voice conference at um, the Oxfordshire Safeguarding Board just before lockdown. Um, and the conference was um, giving children a voice. Um, and obviously the children decided what they would like to talk about at the conference. Um, and the the children all put their experiences together as quotes and then other children at the conference stood and presented the other children's voices so we could give anonymity but they were all real experiences that the children had had experienced. The last audio clip featured uh, a child talking about an experience which led to the child in that particular experience getting PTSD. Do you think that that is perhaps a, a hidden issue within children in this context? And are there more children, do you think, who are suffering from PTSD as a result of what's happening and the lack of support available? Yes, I think going back to PTSD, Children have been diagnosed with it, particularly um, for ones that have witnessed the arrest um, in the home. I mean, it's, that for them is very frightening. Um, also, children who have witnessed um, severe domestic violence from their parent towards their mother and resulting in arrest um, and needing to keep that secret. So um, we had one little boy who's... Um, father had knocked his mother out so she was unconscious and he served a prison sentence but did not want to um, say to school at school what the offence was so was telling his friends that his father was in for murder um, and, and school were appalled that he could do this and couldn't actually see that the child was doing it because to actually talk about mm. his father having done that to his mother was too painful for him. Do you think that there's a lack of awareness generally around how these children are affected by one of their parents going into prison? Definitely. I think there's so many different things that, that happen with, with the children and, and what, they, what they experience. And it is that bit about just, just being so isolated of, the, of that experience of, of having a parent in prison. You know, for the ones that go and visit, they're being searched, the waiting, the going in. Um, 
Do they say to people at school that they've gone to see their parent in prison? Do they not? You know, just, yeah, the, just the general bit that, that families, when they visit, they're not near. You know, they could be anywhere in the country. I think at one stage in Oxfordshire, when we were supporting about 150 children at that time, they were in 41 different prisons across the country. You know, people make assumptions that it's sort of the local prison, that's where the families go to. Um, but obviously they're, they're going everywhere. There's a different categories. It depends on what's available. So, you know, families have a long way to travel as well. In one of the audio clips that we just listened to, uh, one of the children says that she can't see her dad or she or he can't see their dad. Um, and that one of the reasons for that is because he is in prison for hurting uh, their sister. And there's obviously a, a very complex bond there in terms of uh, a little person or a child just wanting to be with their parent despite something they've done which may potentially have been traumatic for them or put a strain on that bond. I think that highlights the complexity of, of family ties and why we perhaps need to be a little bit more careful about how we handle those ties during a process like this. What kind of changes would you like to see to make sure that children are not unnecessarily removed or those ties are not unnecessarily severed or damaged during a process like this? I think it has to be um, individual support for the families and looking at the complexities and what is going on in the family. And it needs to be support for the family and, and looking at what the relationships are and is it looking at it from the child's perspective much more than is done currently, really. Is, does it benefit the child to see the parent instead of does it benefit the parent? There's a lot about, there's a lot, you know, particularly from Law Farmers Review, that it reduces the offending of the, um, sorry, it reduces the re-offending of the parent. But what about from the family perspective? It, how important is it for the children to see their parent? Um, there shouldn't ever be pressure on the children to feel that they need to see the parent. They're not at all for that parent's re-offending. It's, it's what is right for that child. Um, and relationships that have um, that have ended between couples um, and the child is with another partner. That we have we've had situations where the father is in for an offence, and it was a previous domestic violent relationship, and then is trying to use the child as a tool to to um, get at the mother. Um, it, it every family is different, and everything needs to be looked at. But without support. How can it be looked at? COVID-19 has obviously had an impact on children with a parent in prison because of limits on visitation. What's that like for, for children at the moment? How has that process gone? Have they been able to have some kind of meaningful contact during the last three months? One of the difficulties of supporting children whose parents are in very, you know, many different prisons across the country is how different it is for each child. So some have um, phones in their cells and they can speak to the child frequently and often, and they do. Some have um, calls once a week. Some have had video calls, though they're only once a month and there's a limit on numbers. So then families, larger families have had to make a decision which child could be left out and which, um, which children can be part of it. It's been really difficult for video calls because obviously they freeze if... Um, if, if anybody moves, so for young children, they're impossible. So there's not been any consistency um, for anybody, for any of uh, for any of the children. 
Um, and obviously children have been sharing experiences and some have been able to have much more contact, although obviously they are um, not to be able to have, to have gone to the prison. Um, but they have actually had more contact and some have had very little. You were just saying that the video freezes if somebody moves on the call. Why is that? I think it's a security. So it has to be that who is registered to be on that call. And if it moves, it, it sets, sets an alert. That must be incredibly difficult if you're having contact with small children who are a little bit fidgety or babies who have no awareness of um, or very limited awareness of body control. Yeah, really, really difficult for families for that. Um, and families have, yeah, just talked about, you know, that, that really looking forward to seeing somebody and then the frustration because it freezes and then time goes and then it stops. Um, the hardest one has been for the family that had to, couldn't have um, two of the children doing the um, video calls because of the number of children in the house. And it meant that they had to wait for another month. That was really hard. Some of the children have also talked to you about feeling like they're being punished if they've had contact removed or um, restricted because a parent has perhaps not followed a code of conduct in prison or behaved uh, badly within prison. How do you feel about that removal of contact in that context? That one, um, I just think should always, I think the children should be a, pro- a priority and there should be other ways um, of the prisoner um, being punished for whatever he's done than the children. It's a punishment for the child not to be able to see the parent if um, they've lost that privilege. There there must be other ways of losing privileges to enable the child to still see the parent. It's really important um, for some children to see the parent, to know that they're safe. They watch a lot of things on television. They have this um, view of what it might look like and it doesn't look like it and they just need reassurance that they, the parent is safe and well and to be able to go and see the child um, to, sorry to go and see the parent and to lose that as a privilege it just seems so unfair that we're not thinking as a society about the children at all. Children Heard and Seen has already done an enormous amount uh, for children who have a parent in prison but what's next for the charity? I really hope that it isn't too long until the, um, that the children, there are more children that are identified and supported across the country, that there is a government department that takes responsibility um, for identifying the children and for them to be able to access support. Um, and for ourselves, I hope we just continue to be able to support as many families as they wish. Mm-hmm.